Hello, welcome to another episode of SG Explained. We are back in the podcasting room. And today we have a special guest, AJ. Welcome to the show. Hey, <laughs> glad to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, we have Elliot as well. Yeah, I'm usually here. But today, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about poetry in Singapore. As some of our listeners know, you know, I was a literature major. So it's my turn to nerd out, right, Rolf? Yeah, dude, I, I'm excited to see you nerd out again. <laughs> Uh, no, AJ, you know, tell us a bit more about your background. In our chats that we've had, you've talked about uh, slam poetry. You've done a lot more in the poetry scene. So give us give us a bit of a bio. Unlike Elliot, I did not uh, major in literature. Uh, I, was, I was as far away from literature as you could be. I was an engineer. Uh, oh, but, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's even, awesome. Right? So, uh, so uh, my introduction to this whole thing was, you know, like you start working and uh, you're looking for something to do, something to really just take your mind off the usual stuff. And I stumbled across poetry. There was this beautiful uh, event happening at Blue Jazz Cafe, and it just completely enchanted me, the diversity of opinions, voices. And it's at that point that I realized, you know what, this is something that I want to see if I can be a part of. And this was way back in 2016. So since 2016, I've been volunteering with uh, Word Forward, which is this literary nonprofit. And we've been putting together shows like a Poetry Slam. So it's a monthly Poetry Slam. So every month we come up with a theme and we get different poets uh, to sign up, take part. They go through three rounds and the winner walks away with like prize money. And I mean, the prize money, is sort of like a joke. It's not a huge amount, but it's, you know, it's all done in really good fun. What is the prize money? Is it like $5? It's $50. That's, that's not a joke. I can eat like five packets of like really good type of... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you can, you can top up your Easling card for another week. Exactly. So we started with that. So the Poetry Slam has been going on since like 2003. Uh, but so when I came in and, you know, the team was really small. It's just the founder and his wife, who's the co-founder. So Chris Mooney Singh and Sabinda Kaur. And yeah, so we started doing a slightly bigger event. So there's this Lit Up Festival, which they organize on a yearly basis as well. And it was the next year that they decided, you know what, let's just do something a little bit bigger. And they did this Asia Pacific Lit Up Festival. So I got to be a part of that, uh, planning, coming up with the events, being the ground manager for that and the host for the different stages. So it's, uh, multiple different venues within the Blue Jazz area. Uh, so Bali Lane area. And we got the poets from the Philippines, from Indonesia, from Malaysia, as well as our Singaporean poets, uh, all together in one space. And these are just young poets. You know, everyone is between the ages of like 18 to 25 to 20. And it was just this really, really good space where, you know, like you had people uh, from different parts of Southeast Asia just really coming together, sharing ideas, nuances in how cultural norms are slightly different in different countries and how that comes across in their poetry. And that was one of the most magical experiences that I've ever had. That's really cool. I think uh, maybe to, then you'll have a lot of insights into what we're going to talk about, which is like sort of like the evolution of poetry, uh, kind of about like sharing of ideas. What are some so the history of poetry starts all the way, way back with Singapore literature and the straits born Chinese community, right? So this was in the colonial era. It was unclear which was the first work of literature in English published in Singapore, but there's an evidence of Singapore literature published as early as the 1830s. The first notable Singaporean work of poetry in English is possibly Hugh Poling's FMSR. F 
FMSR stands for the Federated Malay States Railways, I think, back in the day. Okay, that's one of the few things that we could I could find out about uh, the poem. So you'll read that it's all about uh, very rich people. So I'm just going to read the first, the first part of the poem for you guys. Millionaires from the new world with nothing else to do. Wander the old world like wandering Jews. Call here to buy wooden shoes, pieces of cheap porcelain. Costly gigaws and malacca canes. Call here to learn without learning anything new. Some more than once to ride the familiar round. And when they leave nothing, follows them but the sound. The emanation of their own unsatisfied craving, their desire uncrowned. Nowadays, monarchy and democracy are mere appellatives for mediocrity. So the aristocracy of wealth, these millionaires, what numbskulls they must be, who are unaware of their own idiocy, unwittingly they come, unobserving see. The same wares they did leave behind at home, to meet foreign jeers, to see tigers and snakes in Singapore, and drink tiger beers. But our tigers have grown timorous and dare not come forth to meet the amorous whimsicality of the rich visitor. So the Pongol Zoo she goes to meet living tigers, snakes and armadillos, or dead tigers guarding garish advertisement panels, or Raffles Museum to stare at stupid animals. Okay, that's the first part. Yeah, I didn't know Tiger Beer was all the way back then. Hey, bro, you gotta read the Tiger Beer history <laughs> or not? But yeah, so this is this is like very new world sort of like poetry, I would say, right? It's you see the idea of movement, uh, of uh, diaspora, the idea of, of of richness and coming to a you know that new land narrative. This is one of actually one of the most celebrated poems, uh, as as far as I can tell. I was a big fan of it. I was surprised. I was a big fan of it. I was expecting something a bit more detached. It has that that that. Ref- fineness uh, you know of of uh, i think the english is strong but then you can hear the sounds of singapore inside fmsr was supposedly written in the colonial era um but with the independence in in 1965 a new wave of singaporean writing emerged and this was led by poets like edwin tambu arthur yap robert yeo gopo singh lee chu ping chandra nair and kirpal singh and actually, poetry was the predominant mood of expression in the literature scene back then. It had a small but respectable following since independence. And most published works of Singapore writing in English have actually been in poetry. So I, you know, I, I'm very surprised because in, in general, Singapore lit uh, has always been a space that people have said is, is, is still very young, uh, still very small. But it seems like poetry has actually had a pretty mature history. I, I would say this for sure. Nowadays, we have you spend a lot more time hearing about things like, um, at least in the art scene, right? Singapore theatre. That's always been a very big powerhouse in Singapore. I mean, after all, we did build the Esplanade and that's a big showcase to, to our efforts, both from a governmental standpoint and also from a, you know, from a community standpoint. But if we dig deep into... Um, some of our early days of poetry, people like Edwin Thambu and Arthur Yap, for example, these guys are celebrated, um, not just locally, you know, but internationally. Uh, people have studied their works as well. So Chris Mooney, uh, as well as Savinda, they are good friends with Kirpal as well. So, you know, sometimes at different events and all that, he does come by uh, to say hi. Your idea of poetry is very different from what poetry would actually be. 
But there's this idea of conveying something almost simply, sometimes visually, that everyone does, you know? It's like you write down when you pen your thoughts, like fragments of different ideas just written together that in essence becomes poetry as well, you know? It's just observations. It doesn't have to have a great grand meaning like uh, Theo Poling's FMSR. Dude was sitting there chilling out, watching people come ashore. And, you know, it's like he just wants to chill with beer with his friends, you know? And and that's poetry to him. And it is that same poetry exists. So those are the early poets, like people like Arthur Yap, for example. Uh, he wrote a lot of ecological poetry in Singapore, actually. Just a fun little tidbit. So for you guys who are, you know, modern day people who are very hardcore for climate change, start reading some of Arthur Yap's early work because um, he was already concerned about these things, about how our land is changing, about how the world, you know, how we treat the environment. These are uh, some strong tropes in his early writing as well so that's so that's our early colonial past we then I want to talk a bit about like how we evolved and then we moved into like the 1990s where there was like a varying level of activity in uh, the succeeding decades so let's just to name some people who are a bit more prominent in the late 1980s early 1990s we had uh, people like Simon Tay Leong Liu Gyok uh, Ko Buk Song Angeline Yap Heng Siok Tian and Ho Po Fan uh, and so in the late 1990s like poetry in English in Singapore had this I would say like a new momentum with a whole new generation of poets born around or after uh, 1965 ding 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 you know independence time <laughs> uh, so and they are now actively writing and publishing not only in Singapore but also internationally and since the late 1990s uh, we've actually seen one of the things which I find very cool, and I still support to today, local small presses, uh, such as Fist Fruits, we had uh, Ethos Books, Math Paper Press. You can still find all this stuff in places like uh, Books Actually, for example. Um, and they have been actively promoting the works of this new wave of poets. Uh, notably, we can talk about people like Boy Kim Chong, Yong Shu Hong, Alvin Pang, Cyril Wong, Felix Chong, uh, To Sien Min, Grace Chia, and Alfian Sai. Uh, but you start to see one thing I like which is infrastructure. That's, that's, the, that's the difficult one to pin down. Uh, sometimes when you don't have the supporting components uh, to build up the scene, I think it's very difficult for us to say like, hey, um, we as a community are trying to really take a stance. We want to make this uh, uniquely Singaporean. Yeah, so like that, that's my favorite part of it. Like poetry when it's written on a page, right? The how you interpret it, what makes sense to you, what stands out to you. It's your own unique perspective, right? The words are there. It's almost like a framework for you to, almost like a vessel, you know, and you pour yourself into it and it has a certain meaning for you. But then uh, when poets like Cyril Wong, you, there's a lot of consideration he puts into how he presents his work as well. So when he performs his poetry, it's a very, very different experience from just reading his work because uh, where he places emphasis changes and nuances the meaning of the works that he does. So like if if you have like the people who are listening, if you've if you've read uh, the works of Cyril Wong, uh, find the opportunities uh, to find him perf uh, to find Cyril and see him perform it live. I, I'm trying to see that actually a lot of our our poets are very versatile in what they can do. Not only is their writing and the visual presentation of, of uh, their poetry very strong and, and cerebral, but in the performance, there is uh, something very, very grounded and connected. One of the things I liked about what you said was about infrastructure, right? Because we talked about the small presses, which 
help to really publish and spread some of this poetry to to a, a big audience. But I also think another aspect of infrastructure are performance venues because that's where you create the community spirit around some of the poetry. You really allow the expressiveness that is so crucial to what poetry is. I know that there used to be uh, open mic events and a lot of different open mic events where poetry was read. And this was still like, I'm very sure in the 1990s and all that, they've had these, they've had uh, poetry competitions and the sort and the like were there. But performance poetry was a, a relatively in a sense, a newer concept. There's performance art, which at times is similar to performance poetry, but performance poetry just as a poetry thing and all that. In Singapore, would like the more formal version of it would be in about 2003. So 2003 was when like uh, poetry slams as a concept was started in Singapore. Poetry Slam started in the US, I think the 1990s or 80s in the US, and it slowly started to really, really gain traction because it was a little bit like storytelling. There's a little bit of dramatic effect and there was poetry there as well. It became very, very engaging for more visual audiences and audiences were becoming more visual uh, in the 1990s. So... In 2003, that's when it started in Singapore. And there you could already see that there was this big divide between the page poets and the spoken word poets. Because it, the spoken word, it was something that was new, you know, it, it required a lot of like emotional, uh, performance coming through your work. Whereas the, the page poetry, it's usually, I wouldn't say, I mean, I wouldn't typecast it, but the impression at the time was that it was more refined. The page poet was the more refined poet. The stage poet was the angry person with the fist in the air, you know, with something to say, you know, but there is vulnerability. There is the ability to present oneself as vulnerable in front of a larger group, the normalization of that, right? And these are very powerful sentiments to show, to propagate, to to make normal. Um, I, I mean, in terms of other infrastructure, Rovic, you know, there is. Uh, we actually have the Singlet Station open now, and it's not just for like spoken, you know, for poetry, but it's uh, for for performance poetry, I guess. It's also a place for workshopping. I think that's important. Another part of infrastructure is having places for artists to grow, uh, not just simply, you know, just simply to put their art out there, uh, but for them to come together in a safe space to say like, hey, this is our spot. We can hang out together, uh, critique each other's work, learn new things, um, invite guests to come in and contribute to that budding uh, culture and spirit of it all. So in the Northeast, actually we had, uh, we started to see like all these new younger generation uh, poets come up. This is, you know, 20 years ago, uh, we had poets like Topaz Winters, Pooja Nancy, who Big shout out, these people are very, very uh, prominent. Uh, it's often politically aware, you know, transnational, cosmopolitan, and they frequently present that intensely focused, very self-questioning, so some meta components, and highly individualized perspectives of Singaporean life, society, and culture. Back in, uh, I would say this was like 2014 or 20, probably 2014 or 2015, I embarked on writing a whole collection of poetry on my own, and then yeah, it never it never got to see the light of day. But you know, uh, I I had a collection of thirty poems that I wanted to put out there, and after writing all thirty, redrafting, this is over a period of like a year and a half. I was like. I'm not even halfway satisfied with this at all. <laughs> hey, Rolf, maybe later, if I'm feeling vulnerable enough, I should share one. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're talking a bit about like the uh, tropes, or at least how aware 
the poetry was in the 2000s. Um, some of the poets, you know, uh, as with most of our modernist poetry or postmodernist poetry, uh, it has been labeled as confessional, uh, since it's very personal, often dealing with like intimate issues such as sexuality. I really like uh, confessional poetry because it has the ability to connect. What is one person's intimate component can actually be something that resonates with a lot of people who are in a very similar situation. And that, you know, that kind of uh, expands the idea of what we think is confessional. There's physical structures like event spaces, uh, training and teaching, like workshops and, you know, stages and things like that. But there's also a very key element of trust and how much trust the audience has for the poet and how much trust the poet has for the audience as well. And by having confessional poetry, like the fact that confessional poetry exists shows that the level of trust between the audience and the poet has grown significantly that they feel that they are able to be that vulnerable in that public setting. And I think that's that's one of the most stronger points that confessional poetry brings across. So you may feel as if, oh, you know, they're talking about their heartbreaks, they're talking about uh, sad topics, about love and loss. But at the same time, these topics, it takes a lot of courage to bring these topics to light. And more than just courage on the poet's part, it means that there are communities that are built. So in the generations before, you've had poets, you've had uh, organizers for communities who were able to create spaces where that trust was earned. That's very important. I, I love that point because uh, confessional poetry then becomes like that, that avenue to understanding like this is a safe space, right? This is this is a place where I can show you and bear my soul. And now now we have this socially binding contract, which is just... Which is, Wow, that's wonderful. I don't know about you, but like for me, when I read local poetry, it's almost like a lens into some of the more marginalized and some of the less talked about issues. Uh, sometimes, or, or rather, a perspective of these you know marginalized issues. For, for example, you know we have national narratives of uh, of LGBTQIA rights. Uh, we have national narratives of uh, you know our relationship with my, the migrant workers. Uh, all these things, I think, are very dear to our hearts, but there isn't enough, you know, national level conversations about these things. A lot of in passing components, but the individualized stories, I think it comes through most clear uh, when it's in the arts. It's, it's hard to feel something for a statistic, right? Like, you know, like you feel nothing for a statistic, a percentage of a population in misery will not move you to tears, but a story of one person, a personal narrative going through that experience, that is something that you could empathize with, that you could relate to, and that could spur action from your part. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a really, really astute point that you brought across because, uh, when you have a poetry like this, looking at either marginalized groups or groups who feel that they don't have a voice that is often amplified in, in the larger conversation, uh, to put out something which is generic would do nothing. But something like poetry, prose, something in the arts, something captured, a portrait, a painting, a sculpture, that has an impact because it sort of makes you stop and think about just one when I think about some of the stuff that even we're doing here at SG Explained in terms of providing a narrative form on on some of these historical pieces that exist, we're really trying to help people connect with stories, with, with facts, with data. Uh, and I think poetry does the best job of really taking some of these big ideas, these really compelling ideas, and, and putting them in a form that people can 
can listen to and digest. When I was watching some of these performances, I could really feel it. It is not easy to influence someone. And I think poetry and, frankly, any kind of uh, performance art do a great job in having to push people past that line into the emotional zone of comfort. With, with some of these ideas. Let's talk a bit about uh, some of the modern day movements. So for our dear listeners, obviously, um, you know, there is it's very intimidating. I think jumping to any scene that we're unfamiliar with can be quite intimidating. So as a starting point, and this has been used as sort of a starting point for a lot of people in the local writing scene, is actually the Singapore Rhymo Movement, which happens every year in April. So we, we already missed this year's window. Uh, but, you know, every year we actually have uh, 30 days of nonstop poetry writing um, that is, you know, with prompts and, and whatnot given by an astute uh, panel of, uh, you know, poets. So if you guys are interested or you girls are interested, every April for 30 days straight, you know, these uh, these writers and poets are encouraged to take a step at writing poetry a day based on a prompt. For example, they might they might put out a picture of, of uh, you know, I don't know. They, they might put a picture up or they might put a little a quote. But it's a really nice community effort that's uh, come around in the past couple of years. I think right now there's like almost 7,000 members in the Singapore Rymo uh, Facebook group. So if you guys are interested, it's it's open to everyone. Please go join. You can check out some of their poetry. Um, usually what they do is they release an anthology of their favorite selected pieces that come out for the month uh, and then they publish it. One of the strongest things you can do is to have a community and to know that there are other people who are also in this space, also curious, also trying and growing with you. And this, you know, this is such an encouraging place for that to happen. Yeah. So like Singapore Rhymo, it's, it's been around since like, I kind of remember, like you say, like 2016, earlier than 2016, it's been there. And the best, the really best part about the whole uh, platform is the community of moderators that they get. So they have a carefully, carefully selected group of moderators to really like look at each and every single poem and give their critique, give their comments. So if you want to find a way to improve, and this is really beautiful thing that they do. So you can ask for a gentle crit or you can just ask for a normal crit. So a critique could be like, you can ask for a normal critique and they will, they will give you in their proper honest view or if it's like your first time and you really do want to protect your feelings a little bit you can ask for a gentle crit so then they'll be a little bit more encouraging so they offer you so many like uh, almost a customizable experience of your time there so you could be like elliot taking part uh year after year or you could be like me and i just joined the group and every day i just go in and i read the poems that i like i can give comments uh encouragements to the poets that i really do like or you know there's a lot of com like a lot of debate sometimes that happens on certain posts and the team of moderators sort of like make sure that no one crosses a line and always brings people back to the poetry brings people back to how better you could explain different things and all that so the team that they put together every year those are the really those are the miracle workers if you are open for open mics there are quite a few more stages that you can explore as well the one which i'm at is the singapore poetry slam we do it once a month uh we should have one coming up at the end of july uh so more details you'll post that up uh later on but the next one you should look at is destination inc 
Now, Destination Inc. was also started, I think, way back 2012, or maybe a little bit earlier. And they do amazing, amazing poetry. And they have a core focus as well, uh, which is creating a safe space for different kinds of expression. So it's not just poetry. There's music. There's a little bit of theater. There's a little bit of dance. Everything happens on Destination Inc. We have Spoken Bird. Spoken Bird is founded by Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie is amazing. Uh, like the kind of works that like one of my favorite poems from Singapore is by Stephanie. It's called Umbrella. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of like this. It deals with superstition. You know, like you cannot open an umbrella indoors because like the ghosts will come out. And there's also this idea of how we always forget umbrellas in buses. And sort of like that idea that, you know, you only hold on to the things that are useful for you. And when it stops becoming useful, it you sort of forget about it. She does this spoken bird. So it's open mics with a, one or two feature poems uh, by feature poets. And uh, more recently, there's this new one which was set up called uh, Wild Poets Den. So Wild Poets Den, uh, it started very, very recently, only I think just last month. And it's sort of creating a space which is... Uh, non-alcoholic in that sense. So a lot of the poetry slams, we're quite boorish, you know, like um, we're in a bar, you know, there's alcohol, there's beer, you know, we, we can be very loud. Uh, <laughs> and we have a grand time. So, um, but for different people, um, the idea of what is a place that they can feel comfortable to perform could be different, you know? So some people are not comfortable in an alcohol environment either traditionally, culturally, or personally, they may not be comfortable in those sorts of environments. So the Wild Poets Den is sort of creating that space where, you know, if alcohol is not your thing, uh, there is this venue that is available. You can open mic and it will be similar people with similar interests in that space as well. And Singlet does amazing events. So they don't have like that regular, like Singapore Rhymo is a regular calendar event. But beyond that, like one of the best things, which I think, uh, as a, as a Singaporean creation that has come out is this thing that they've done as, uh, the body slam. Have you heard of that? Yeah. The body slam. That's the one that they, they mix it up with, uh, SPW, right? Singapore pro wrestlers. Yeah. It's like musical theater, but it is poetry theater and wrestling. And it just, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I love that. That's the thing that's in Singapore because you would never put those two things together, Singapore and body wrestling poetry. <laughs> it's great. Uh, Rovic, uh, KIV, we're going to do an episode on Singapore pro wrestling soon. Sure. We don't normally think of Singapore as a place for poetry until this episode, at least for me. Uh, but I, you know, when I found out that we have this thing called Twin Cinema, I was very proud about, about this innovation. So Twin Cinema is a poetic form written in two discrete columns. And this is actually a visual style of poetry beyond just you know, the, the actual print that, that you read. Uh, so we are going to put a link in the show notes for you to at least see uh, what, what what this looks like. But in these two disparate columns, each column can be read individually from top to bottom, often presenting a co-relating or contrasting image with the other column, or they can put viewpoints at odds with each other. So the beauty lies in its ability to be also read across and so when done so each poem tells a different story and reveals a new meaning so there's there's so many different ways to read this poem there's so many layers and meaning uh and that's such a fascinating way to to convey an idea and to convey a story and the first twin cinema poem was written by singaporean poet yo kai chai entitled begone dull care this one is called hungry dreams uh by win lintan Okay, so I'm going to read the left column, then the right column, 
and then I'll read it all together once again. And then you can tell me whether or not you, you sense a difference in, in uh, what's being said. Okay, so first part, left column. It's mind over matter. Science has proven two meals is adequate for most. It's a necessary evil. The body achieves persists today limit. Okay, that's part one. Right column, a reality in waiting. So they say, eight hours already. Excessive for some, though we mustn't resist. The mind allies tomorrow rest less. Okay, so two very different uh, or very contradictory ideas that are going on. Uh, and then once we put it all together, it reads like this. It's mind over matter. A reality in waiting. Science has proven, so they say. Two meals, eight hours, is already adequate for most. Excessive for some, it's a necessary evil. Though we mustn't resist, the body achieves. The mind lines, persist today, tomorrow rests, limitless. When you suddenly put the whole science sentence together, right, like it takes on this entirely new meaning and... Wow. It's, it's, it's dope because it's not just about body and mind, but then the unison of body and mind. Can you see how that, like the two ideas kind of like align? Yeah, yeah. This is something which we made. Twin, twin cinema poetry, something that we made in Singapore. And I know a lot of people who are in the US poetry scene who actually enjoy using twin cinema. It's one of like the craziest mental exercises you have to do. Imagine not just writing one poem, uh, but... Not two, but three poems, yeah. Is this a style that has been exported? Well, it has been used overseas and people have started studying it. Uh, there in UC Berkeley, when I was uh, studying there for a bit, uh, the twin cinema po poetry form was actually discussed in the classroom as something which has wow. uh, come out of the postmodernist scene. So uh, I think it's very interesting where meaning kind of breaks down into its halves uh, only to come together to make something new. That's very postmodernist in... Uh, I guess, in philosophy, I guess. No, that's something to be incredibly proud of because I think one of the things we struggle with in Singapore is what aspects of our culture can we actually export so that, you know, we contribute to the global community. And this is one of it. I love that. And we can now move to the last bit of our episode, which is to share uh, some poems. So we have AJ here. And uh, AJ, perhaps you can share with us some of your favorite poems. Most of my knowledge in uh, poetry in Singapore, it is spoken word poetry. And the, the sad part about the spoken word poetry is that uh, for a lot of the poets uh, whose poetry I really enjoy, it's not captured in a written form anywhere that I could uh, share it with you. <laughs> Favorite poem of mine is uh, Fried Chicken by Jennifer Champion. It's sort of like the poem which it doesn't need you to take it too seriously. So it's in her published book, A History of Clocks. Uh, so yeah, The Fried Chicken by Jennifer Ann Champion. The fried chicken was first discovered shortly after the extinction of the fried dodo bird. The fried chicken can reach a ground speed of about 15 kilometers per hour in flight. It could reach up to 25 kilometers per hour or more, depending on who's throwing it. The fried chicken has survived because of its diversity and its ability to adapt. You can find it in a variety of habitats, for example, a lush, green salad, or in groups of five or more as they do in Buffalo. Occasionally <laughs> hiding in the tundra of your refrigerator, but not for long. 
The fried chicken is both solitary and gregarious. The fried chicken should not be confused with the chicken nugget. The chicken nugget is a dead chicken. The fried <laughs> chicken is alive with flavor. Catching the fried chicken requires cunning, quick thinking, and crossing the road as good fried chicken invariably lives on the other side of your house. Many purveyors of the fried chicken advertise authenticity and tasteful refinement, such as to be found in Kentucky. However, it is useful to know that one cannot be certain one has encountered the fried chicken if it does not have a head. Real fried chicken has a head and a face, but the best fried chicken might even have a name. Now, not many people know this, but the fried chicken is an endangered species. There are, there have been horrific experiments when it comes to its procreation. Some experiments have included stuffing mushroom inside bacon inside the fried chicken. But many experts believe that the only thing that should be stuffed in the fried chicken is the fried chicken. And naysayers should just take the chicken and stuff it in their mouths. It takes one hand to make an egg and it takes two hands to make an omelette. The fried chicken, nature's best kept recipe. Wow. Yeah. I love it. It's so good. I was not prepared for that in any way. <laughs> I, I'm going to share poems from the local scene. So, you know, to give our listeners a bit a bit of a primer of a taste of people which I brought up earlier on. Uh, the first one is Mr. Arthur Yap. And while this one isn't, you know, one of his ecological poems, uh, um, it's, it's one which maybe now that we're all in phase two and hopefully moving to phase three of Circuit Breaker or post-Circuit Breaker, uh, I want to talk about this poem called The Old House at Ang Siang Hill. And here it goes. Old House at Ang Siang Hill by Arthur Yap. An unusual house... This is, dreams are here before you sleep, tread softly, into the three-story gloom, sit gently on the straight-spawn furniture imported from China, speak quietly to the contemporary occupants. They are not afraid of you, waiting for you to go, before they dislocate your intentions. So what if this is your grandfather's house? This ghost doesn't live here anymore. Your family pass is superannuated grime, which increases with time. Otherwise, nothing adds or subtracts. The bricks and tiles until redevelopment, which will greatly change this house that was. Dozens like it along the street. The next, and the next as well. Nothing much will be missed. Eyes, not tradition, tell you this. Uh, sorry, I, I, I forgot the preamble that it's not very bright, like as in, you know, it's not a very optimistic poem. It's about the erosion of our culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's really cool, right? He, he's talking a bit about urbanization, about the changes uh, to what we identify, what we see as Singapore, something which he was living through um, during uh, this upheaval, I would say, uh, in our in our own uh, urban development. So, really interesting, right? He, he he gives you not just a description of the places, but he tries to link. Um, a location into a feeling and to the people that yeah. make that location what it is. When they're raising down these buildings, it's almost like you're tearing down memories to build dreams, right? You know, so you take an aspect of the past to, like you sacrifice an aspect of the past to create 
uh, an aspect of the future. You know, maybe to wrap up this whole episode, we can hear your poem. I, sh- I should have read. I should have read mine first. All right. Um, I'm going to read something short. Then, uh, something which I wrote in uh, one of the darkest times of my life. Um, it's 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 a poem called 2 a.m. and I wrote it at 3 a.m. No one knows the neon lights better than you. Do they catch your under eye shadows? Or drown out spectacle marks, metaphors for past mistakes that cannot be undone. Reading through nights you were alone in someone else's room, reading his nightstand book while he showered off your perfume. Through reading you undone, he was alone that night, in a room with no one else. There cannot be mistakes, and the metaphors pass him as he drowns behind spectacles. Under his eye, Shadows catch better than you ever could. The neon lights know no one. That's my poem. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks, man. <laughs> it's 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 visually it's a little bit uh, more fun because I I I'm, I've never really done spoken word poetry. Although AJ, after this, I must take you out on an offer to go and check out the apps participate. Uh, I've always been you know more written word sort of fella. So the structure of my poem actually it uses from front to back it uses the same exact amount of uh, kinds of words, right? I wanted to have a little mirror at 2 a.m. and at 3 a.m. what it might look, what things might look like. So you'll see the same motifs in reverse order. Anyway, that's my poem. Well, thanks for sharing, Elliot. That, you know, took a lot of courage in your part too. Thanks for indulging me in uh, that one bit. And I don't think I've ever shared it with anyone. That was amazing. We're so happy you shared it with us. Like, I'm really, really glad. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. Well, uh, so I think uh, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of SG Explained. AJ, do you have any shout outs that you want to give now that, uh, or any plugs that you want to do? Uh, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Ajay Govinda. All right. So that comes to the end of our episode. Thank you all so much for joining us. If you like uh, what you're listening to, please go subscribe to all our uh, podcasting platforms. Give us a little comment, share with us your ideas and find us on all our socials. Uh, and that is all for this week. So. On behalf of the team, I'm Elliot. I'm Rovek and AJ. Thanks for coming on the show again.